Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. This week, we have a special guest with us to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. One of my favorite, uh, favorite hymns is Come Thou Fount. And I love the line, Here I Raise My Ebenezer, which is a fun line because it's fun. If you don't know what it means, it's funny. Uh, but if you do know what it means, it's powerful. It's funny either way, I think. But uh, the Ebenezer, of course, is a stone of help that Israel set up and said, remember how God helped us. Remember how he was with us and got us through that. And when I look back 15 years ago, there's an Ebenezer stone set up right here for me. This is a place that I look back and said, wow, that was a measure of God's grace that he led me, that I stumbled into this room as just such a dumb 20-year-old. Oh, man. Ah, you guys know. You don't, I don't have to tell you. But... But, oh, it's just such, such a, I just, I love this place. I love being here. So, any opportunity to come back. Uh, glad to be here. Glad to uh, bring this, this message that I prayed about every time. I don't have a lot of opportunities to speak uh, in a setting like this, so I'm not, I'm not really a preach through a book of the Bible kind of person. I just, I say, I'm going to this place at this time. What should I tell them? And I pray about that, and God, most of the time, gives me something. And uh, he gave me something for today. I really tried hard to make it not from Genesis. Because I'm like, how typical. I'm here on New Year's Day, preach from Genesis. So it is from Genesis, but it's not a New Beginnings message. So I'll, I'll give you that. I really tried hard not to do that, but God said do it, so I said okay. Um, you, can't, you can't tell God no. That's just how it is. So you know that. Um, all right, I want to start off telling you a little story about some of my kids. I've got a picture of them up here. If you, don't, if you haven't seen my kids lately, there they all are, my wife, Laura. I have a six-year-old, Micah, and then his two sisters. Piper is four. There they are hugging. Most of the time they're like that. Sometimes they're fighting. And then Penny, she's just 18 months, just turned 18 months. Uh, so I've got those three. They're awesome. Uh, I don't sleep, but I don't, I, I don't care. I have a lot of love in my home and in my life, so it's great. Um, we were, uh, at the beginning of December, we were putting up Christmas lights on our house, so I had the extension ladder leaning up against the front of the house and putting up the lights, and so Micah comes outside, Micah's, you know, again, he's six, almost seven, and he comes out and he says, Dad, can I get on the roof? I'm thinking to myself, son, it's my job to keep you safe, it's my job to teach you how to live in this world, so yes, absolutely, get up the ladder, go on the roof. I don't know. <laughs> Probably wasn't a good idea, but I said, hey, this is a good teaching opportunity. We'll take, hey, here's how ladder safety. You need a spotter. You need to do this when you're up. So I said, you know, kids got to learn. I felt like I was a little nervous to tell this story, but I feel like you're my people that let, you know, kids got to learn by doing. So I felt safe telling this here. Uh, so I tell, you know, I say, hey, get up on the roof, you know, be safe. This is how you do it. Uh, while you're up there, here's a push broom. Can you get the leaves off the roof? You know, got to be useful. I mean, if you're going to be up there, be useful. He loved it. He was fine. This story does not end with anyone falling off the roof, okay? So I'm just going to, no one fell, everything was fine. But just want to throw that in there just to make sure. Uh, so my, he's up there. So then Piper comes out. Piper's got to do everything that Micah does. So he said, Daddy, can I get on the roof? So I thought for a second and I said, well, it wouldn't be fair if I told her no. So yeah, sure, why not? So now Micah is my, he's my rule follower. Micah, if I, you know, I mean, if I go through a yellow light, he's like, Dad, you're not allowed to do that. Yellow light, you're in a red light. And I'm like, it's whatever, okay. So he, um, you know, he's always like that. He gets a set of Legos. He's got to build it step by step for exactly how it is. How, that's how he is. He, if, and I knew 
when he went on the roof, I knew he would listen to everything I told him because he's in a situation he's not sure about. He's, he doesn't know, he's in something new. He's going to listen to everything I say. Say, Mikey, get away from the edge. Okay, yeah. And so I knew that was fine. So as Piper's climbing up the ladder, I started thinking about her personality and how it is not like that at all. Piper doesn't walk. Piper dances. She doesn't walk anywhere. She is dancing or skipping or hopping or doing something. I don't know, all the time. Um, if she is unhappy about something, going into a store, it doesn't matter where she is, going into a store, going in somewhere, she would just lay on the floor and scream. Just won't, hey, come on, nope, run the other way. It's like, no, I'm never doing that. You know, this, that's how she is, right? So as she's walking up the ladder, I'm thinking about this about her. I was like, this is the worst idea I've ever had. Why did I let her do this? So she's going up. I was like, well, I just gotta, I'm going to go up there with her, right? So I'm just going to stand up there and make sure she's fine and then not be up there long. So Piper's on the roof. And, you know, again, most of the time she's dancing. I mean, she'll, she'll come up to me, just run up to me, grab my hands, and do a backflip before I even know I'm involved in this maneuver. That's what she does. She's just, she's crazy. She, I have a video of her just saying, I'm crazy, and that's her. She's crazy, and I love it. So she's up there, and she's just walking like this. And I said, I'm like, okay, I'm looking. That's good. And I was like, Piper, are you okay? She said, well, Dad, I'm a little scared. And I said, good. <laughs> you be scared of the roof. You should be scared, right? That's going to keep you alive, Piper, if you're scared of being on the right. And so then we got down and everything was fine. Again, no one fell off the roof. It was good. What is the point of that, all right? I think we need to have a healthy fear of living outside of God's will. A healthy fear, not a fear of who God is, but the more that I live, the more that I have discovered that the way God told us to live is the best way to live. He doesn't tell us, don't do this, don't do that, just because he likes to take our fun away. He says it because, hey, I know the way to life, and I want to tell you that way to life. So follow what I have to tell you, and you'll live the best way that you possibly can. I have, I have the ways of life. Don't go towards death. I believe that. So what the Bible calls sin, I believe, is anything that puts us outside of this safety of God's will in our life. Living outside of that should give us a healthy dose of fear. His will is much simpler than we make it, I think. You know, a lot of times when I was in college, I thought, what's God's will for my life? And that's changed like 50,000 times over the last 15 years since I started here. I don't um, work at a church anymore, and I like that. Now I'm a teacher. I love teaching. So if it comes across as a school teaching, then that's why, because that's what I do five days a week, is I teach a college-level Bible class, and it's awesome, and I love it. So uh, while I've been doing that, I've gotten this, I've, got, I've just renewed a love for the Old Testament that I thought was just a really confusing and boring set of books when I was younger. Now I've really come to, to love it. Um, but God's will is much simpler than just what job should I take, what person should I marry, should I do this, should I do that, should I... Do that. His will is that we be holy. And he tells us how to do that in his word. That's it. That's what God's will is for our life. Being holy keeps us from danger, I believe. It keeps us from sin that destroys, that leads to death. And more than that, I believe that God's word calls us to believe what he says about that. All right? I believe that God's word says, hey, I've told you the best way to live. Believe me. Trust me. Follow me, and you will lead to life. If you choose your own way, it's going to lead to death. If Piper was skipping around on the roof and dancing and had no fear whatsoever, it would have ended badly, right? She had a good fear, right, of being there, being where she was. 
So trusting God is very important. As I read the Old Testament more and more, as I studied more, I was convinced of this. I was convinced that God really, really wants us to believe him. And I was fully convinced by a story about Moses uh, striking a rock. And uh, when, when God tells him, hey, uh, speak to this rock, the people in their own mind were dying of thirst. I, don't, I, I, you know, I think they were just overly dramatic. Israel was very dramatic people. Um, they, uh, so God says, speak to this rock and water will burst forth from it. And he is so angry, so frustrated after years and years of Israel being the way they are, that he just hits the rock with a stick. Water still comes forth, which I find interesting. But God is upset. What, and God says to him something very interesting. He doesn't say, because you disobeyed, because you did this. He says, because, Moses, you didn't believe me, then you won't enter the promised land. I thought, wow, that is interesting to me. You didn't believe me, Moses, so you don't get to enter. You didn't believe me. You didn't trust me. You didn't trust my way. You did it your way. So I said, okay, there's something to that. So then... I went back and started reading the Old Testament again. And I started looking for ways that his people didn't believe him. And man, let me tell you what, we don't believe him a lot. <laughs> um, disobedience is a problem, but a lack of trust seems to be the bigger problem. It's apparently a bigger issue that Moses didn't trust what God said. So I'm going to start looking in Genesis at how God's people relate to his words, how they believe him, how they don't believe him. Uh, we're going to end up at Genesis 50:20. That's the key verse. Uh, but we're going to start at the beginning, which is a good place to begin. Start with the backstory. Uh, if you're taking notes today, uh, I just make a list of the amount of times God's people uh, mess up and don't trust Him. I think you've got this page. You might want to grab a couple more. I'm just kidding, but it's a long list, and I'm even I'm, I've even skipped some. I've condensed this, so uh, you're in luck for that today. But there's yeah, just make a list today of the amount of times, the amount of times God's people messed up or didn't trust. Uh, the people in Genesis are not painted in a good light, which I thought was, again, I read it as I started rereading, I was like, man, these people, this isn't a good story about good people. It's just not. It's a story that uh, tells us the failure of these people over and over again, of God's people, not just the people outside of um, God's family. Uh, there's a fair share of non-PG stories also. That are somehow missing from every kid's Bible that I've ever read, which is kind of strange, but um, I'll allude to some of those, not go into too much detail, but I think they're important. Let's start with uh, Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3, of course, is when the serpent comes and deceives the woman. And let's look at what he says. He says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, neither should you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said, you won't surely die, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. All right, so problem number one is God's people are believing a lie instead of believing God. Okay, there's problem one. That's the first thing you can write down. Problem one, they have believing a lie. The serpent asks, did God actually say this? And it's not what God said, which is interesting. God didn't say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden. He's causing confusion. And the woman repeats back what God did say. We may eat of it, but we can't eat of the fruit of this tree. Actually, she kind of goes a little farther. She says you shouldn't touch it either. But the lie prevails. He says, if you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
What's really sad about that, I think, is that the people were already like God. It said in the creation account, Genesis 1, that God created man in his own image. That means that they're already like him. The serpent says, hey, you can be like God even more. That's not even possible, right? God made them like him from the start. So the serpent lies, and the people don't believe God. They believe the lie instead, and they take the fruit, and they eat it. When you read the curses, this is something else I just noticed when I was studying for this, which is cool. I love when that happens. Uh, there, uh, God has to, pr- he pronounces curses. He says, cursed is the serpent. Uh, you'll uh, go on your belly, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Um, he puts a curse on the ground, and he tells man and woman the toil that's going to be hard. But he doesn't put a curse on the people, which I thought was interesting. He doesn't put a curse on Adam and Eve. The ground is cursed, and because of that, he tells them, hey, your toil is going to be harder. Life's going to be harder now, but the curse is not put on them, which I thought was good and fascinating. But I hadn't seen that before. But now, death is reigning. God still has a plan, though. In Genesis 3.15, he says to Eve, I will put enmity between, he says to the serpent, actually, put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. One day, this would be fulfilled in the person of Jesus. So there's a, there's a plan. Something's coming together. So I'm going to skip all the bad things about Cain and Abel and all the people got to destroy the whole world with Noah. It's a lot of bad stuff in there. The Tower of Babel. I'm skipping a lot of bad things, you can see. So you could write more things down. I'm going to skip those just for the sake of time. You're welcome. Uh, we're going to go to Genesis 12. Genesis 12 is the next place we'll go. This is the call of Abram. God has uh, seen all the people of the world. He's separated the people at the Tower of Babel, and he's now calling out one family out of all of those, one man named Abram. And he says to him in uh, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, will bless you and make you your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and you, him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That last phrase is another time that we believe uh, God is promising to send a Savior through the line of Abraham. So he says, leave your kindred, leave your family, leave your father's house, go to the land I'll show you. Okay? First thing. What does the next verse say? <laughs> so Abraham went, as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Anyone catch the problem there? He was supposed to leave his family, right? He was supposed to leave his kindred, and Lot comes along. We'd say, oh, maybe he just wanted to come along, and then you read about Lot, and he causes them all kinds of problems. Their flocks are uh, in dispute. There's not enough room for them. They have to separate. The whole Sodom and Gomorrah debacle, Lot's involved in that. And then there's this really non-PG story where Lot's daughters sleep with them, and it's, yeah, anyway, yeah. I, think, I don't know why that's not in kids' Bibles. It's just not, right? Okay? There's a whole bit. Lot's not a good guy, right? Okay? So you got three things about Lot. Abraham takes Lot with him. Lot's not supposed to come. He's supposed to leave his family, it says. Leave your kindred, God says. He says, okay, he's going to go, but Lot comes. Okay. So that's our first cue. Okay, something's not right here, right? So Lot goes as well. Not supposed to do that. Um... So he only partially obeys. He only partially trusts and believes. In 
I don't even have to leave the chapter. Like 47 seconds later, God's already, or Abraham's already messing up. So I don't even have to leave the chapter to find the next time. So, verse 10 of chapter 12, there's a famine in the land. All right? It's a famine. That's bad. There's no food, okay? Abraham could remember, all right, God told me he's going to bless me and make me a blessing, and he's going to bless us and bless me. Okay, he said that uh, in this land. He said there's a famine there. So what does it say? So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. Okay, so now he left the land. Now some could say, well, maybe God, that was his provision. He sent him to Egypt. That's possible. I don't know. There's two interpretations. There's always two interpretations, I think. Not always, but sometimes. Um, you could say God sent him to Egypt to, to rescue him. That's possible. I think my interpretation is he went there because he didn't believe God could, tr- could provide for him. That's what I think is happening here. Either way, what happens next is definitely not what God wanted for him. It's definitely an instance of Abraham not trusting God. So he's about to enter Egypt, and he says to his wife, I know that you're a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and then they'll kill me, but they'll let you live. Say you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life will be spared for your sake. So... Abram sells out his wife to save, him, save his own skin, is basically what happens here. And again, didn't God just say, anyone who dishonors you, I will curse? Didn't God just promise that? And yet he's afraid for his life? He doesn't believe a thing God says to him, right? Just in that first chapter. That's three times, I think, that he has just completely not believed the promises that God made to him. God promised safety uh, to him, and he did not trust. Abram's you know, you think, oh, maybe he just made a one-time mistake. Abram does the same exact thing with another king in chapter 20. Okay, so he does this twice. Same mistake twice. Also, Isaac does it later. We'll get to that. Anyway, this happens a lot. It's really annoying. If I was God, I'd be annoyed. But that's, you know, it's a good thing I'm not. Uh, so God promises safety, but he also promises a multitude of descendants. And yet, Abram doesn't have children yet. So one good thing. We do have one instance where Abram does something right. Uh, God is in chapter 15. He says, the word of the Lord came to Abram, and he said, fear not, I am your shield, and your reward will be very great. And again, remember, he's saying this after all the mistakes Abram has made. He's giving him a blessing. He's continuing his blessing. Abram said, God, what will you give me for a continual childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? So the heir of his house is his servant, not uh, one of his children. Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, but your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards the heavens and number the stars if you're able. And he said, So shall your offspring be. So verse 6, here we go, here's something good. You're, you can write a, you have a, if you have a very small piece of paper, you can write down the good things that they do. All right? This is one of them, though. I'll give him some credit. I'll give credit where credit's due. He says, He believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is another verse that has convinced me how important it is to believe what God said. What did Abram need for righteousness to be counted to him to believe what God said? All right, everyone following me? Everyone get what we're saying here, right? It's very important that we believe what God tells us. It's very, very important that we believe the words of God because it says right here, Abram believed God and he got counted righteousness. That's the same, same idea that's used for Jesus' sacrifice applied to us. Right, that's it. that righteous, that's what, he believed him. That's it, that's all he needed to do. So good job, Abram. You did, you did well. Um, but he, he gets impatient is the problem. He trusts this. He believes that. But in chapter 16, 
Abram's going to lose his patience. Sarai, his wife, is going to lose her patience and say, and Sarah is going to say, Here, here's my Egyptian servant, Hagar. Take her, make her your wife, and she can have kids for me. Right? This is, I think, just like Genesis 3. The people say, I want the knowledge of good and evil. On my, I want what God's image on my terms. I'm going ta- to ignore what God said. I'm not going to believe it. I'm going to take it for myself. And I believe that's what Abram and Sarai do here as well. They say, God, you're taking too long. I'm gonna, I'll figure this out myself. Never mind. God, you, you didn't do this when I wanted you to, so I got this. I'll, I'll do it for you. Let me just help you along. God doesn't need her help, as we'll see. This is not the plan. Right? There's more here than I have time to get into, but we just, we'll just suffice it to say this was not God's plan for Abram and Sarah. That's evidenced by uh, further, uh, further stories here in Genesis. Um, this is a complete lack of trust in God's promise. They wanted things on their terms, and because of their distrust, we'll see later in chapter 22, after God gives him a son in Isaac through Sarah, God demands his gift back through the sacrifice of Isaac. The beauty of that story is God deserved to demand his gift back, but God provided a sacrifice. God provided a substitute for Isaac and said, no, I know now that you trust me, Abraham, Abraham, so there's a substitute in your son's place. All right, so we got all the ways Abraham messed up, right? You got them all written down? Okay. Need another piece of paper yet? We're getting there. Um, It doesn't get much better with Isaac. So speaking of Isaac... um, He repeats his father's distrust. So that's the first thing for Isaac. He will uh, lie about his wife, Rebecca, uh, saying that she is his sister. I think they were cousins or something. I don't know. A lot of weird stuff happened in the Bible that was cultural and we don't need to worry about now. But uh, they they say it's kind of half true. But Isaac does the same thing uh, that his father Abraham did, the same lie, and again, doesn't go well, shows a lack of trust in God's protection that was promised. Um, But then, in Genesis 25, verse 23, it says, For a while, uh, Rebekah could not have children. They pray, and she's able to bear children, and she's pregnant, and the Lord says to her, Two nations are in your womb. This is chapter 25, verse 23. And two peoples from within you shall be divided, and one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. So a promise from God comes to this family, and God says, there's two, two people, two nations are growing inside you, Rebecca. The older one is going to be the rule, or the older one is going to be ruled by the younger. The younger is going to have the birthright, is what is promised. I would imagine Rebecca did not keep this to herself. That's a little bit of speculation. She might have. But I feel like this was a known thing to the family. That's, so, so if so... Everyone in this family tries to get it the wrong way. Okay, Isaac. We read stories here where Isaac still favors his older son Esau. If he knew, which again, I don't know if he knew about this promise that was told to Rebekah, but if he did, then he ignored what God said and said, well, my oldest gets the birthright, so he's going to get it. Right? He's the oldest. He gets it. it doesn't, I don't care what God said. Again, he may not have known, so we, might, we can get, cut him a little slack there. But Rebecca, though, she doesn't trust God to do it himself. Again, Rebecca is going to take matters into her own hands. When Isaac asks Esau to go out into the field and hunt and bring back a meal so that Isaac can bless him and give him the blessing and the birthright, uh, 
Rebecca thinks of a way to scheme. She schemes, and she says, all right, Jacob, go pretend to be Esau. Go pretend to be him and steal your brother's blessing. Now, if Rebecca had trusted God, right, she, she would have trusted that he was going to make his promise happen, right? She would have trusted that. Uh, but she takes it into her own hands. She says, all right, we're going to have to scheme and do this ourselves. We have to make sure, Jacob, that you get this blessing. Esau, all throughout the story, he hates his birthright, is what the Bible tells us. So he gave it up in exchange for something to eat. Uh, Jacob lives and connives his way into his father's blessing against his will over and over again. The people in this family don't trust God and try to force it to happen on their own terms. Over and over again. They're forcing God's will or not trusting him to do what he's going to say. And this distrust leads to suffering for this family. Rebecca and Jacob never see each other again. Jacob is about to go into a 20-year exile from his home, from his land, to go to his uncle's house, Laban, and he's, gonna, he's never going to see his mother again. So this leads to suffering, but what is interesting is exactly what God said would happen still happens. Kicking and screaming, Isaac's family is brought into God's will. Does that, do you get what I'm saying? Get that? They... they didn't trust him at all, but what God said still happened, right? Because that's who God is. So let's talk about Jacob. So imagine, you know, Abraham and Isaac, you know, they lied and, and schemed sometimes. Imagine if there was one of their descendants that just, his name was just liar. This is Jacob. Jacob's name means heel snatcher, which is the Hebrew idiom for being a schemer or a liar or someone shrewd that... Uh, tricks people. Um, so he goes to his uncle Laban, he flees from his brother, and he has met his match in his uncle Laban. The, the conniver is out-connived, if that's a word. Uh, Jacob, of course, falls in love with Laban's younger daughter, Rachel, but is tricked into marrying Leah. And if you're catching the older, younger sibling theme going on here, it's really interesting how it, how it all ties together. Um, Jacob and, and Jacob gets tricked into marrying Leah. I don't know how you get tricked into marrying the wrong person. I don't know, but it happened. Um, this leads to years and years of sibling rivalry. When I teach this section in my, my class, I write on the whiteboard, I've got this big, weird, crazy diagram of all the kids and all the different women that Jacob has. There's four women that Jacob has children with, and that's where we get the 12 tribes of Israel is from those 12, uh, 12 sons. But it's, they're just back and forth, going back and forth. Like, you have kids, you have kids. You have, hey, take my servant and have kids with her. Oh, no, now you have more kids than me, so you take my servant. and It's just a mess, right? Years and years of this happened um, because of the distrust that Jacob has. They trade heel snatches for 20 years, Laban and Jacob do, until Jacob decides to leave with his family. While they're leaving, though, uh, we read this interesting story about Rachel has stolen her father's household idols, uh, she gets away with it because she lies about not being able to stand up because she's about the manner of a woman. Still not sure why that story doesn't make it in children's Bibles, but here we go. All right, so Rachel is somehow still worshiping idols and is stealing them from her father and lies about it. So there's three things Rebecca does wrong, right? Sorry, Rachel does wrong, my fault. Getting confused with other people doing wrong things. Uh, all right, so that's Jacob. So then we have Jacob's sons. We start... Uh, hearing stories about them. Oh, man, Genesis 34. A lot of people just skip right over Genesis 34. It's titled, in my Bible, The Defiling of Dinah. Uh, essentially, Dinah is sexually abused by a local ruler, 
And her two brothers, Simeon and Levi, they come up with a plan. You know, the, this local ruler says, hey, I'm in love with Dinah, I want to marry her. So her brothers say, hey, you know what, that's cool and all, but uh, we can't give our sister to an uncircumcised people. So you all have to get circumcised first. And they're like, well, that sounds good, I guess. Um, I don't know. Uh, so their plan is, while they're still in pain and can't fight back, Simeon and Levi just go in and kill everyone in town. It's a pretty rough story, right? Um, for some reason, I don't know why, but for some reason, you know, I keep sending my children's Bible manuscript and publishers have just stopped calling me. Um, because of all the, you know, I think these stories are important, but nobody wants to include them. So uh, they just haven't, uh, they stopped returning my calls. So I don't get it. So Genesis 34, not a great chapter. Some bad, something bad happens but, uh, to them, but Simeon and Levi respond with uh, deceit and murder. And then along comes Joseph. And I'm speeding all the way through this. I'm sorry, I'm skipping a lot of good stuff, but just trying to get uh, the most important ones that I thought we should look at today. Joseph might be the best example of faith in the whole book of Genesis. Uh, his kind of only fault is kind of being a show-offy punk, I think. Uh, he tells his brothers, hey, I had this dream that you all bowed down to me, and they get mad at him, and he's like, hey, look at my coat that you guys don't have. You know, so he's kind of a punk teenager, I think, um, and that's okay. But he's, he's really painted in a good light as a man of great faith. Um, so he ends up being sold into slavery, uh, sold to some Ishmaelites, it says, and then brought to Egypt. Um, he does well. He trusts God there, is the stories that we read. We read stories about Joseph trusting God over and over and saying, I believe, you know, God's with me here. God's with me. And he, uh, so much so that he is uh, raised up to the head of Potiphar's house, and then he runs away from Potiphar's wife, right? He he holds his integrity. He trusts God. He trusts the way that he follows him. But yet, what I think is interesting about Joseph's story is it's not his sin that causes suffering. It's other people's. It's his brother's sin that's causes suffering. It's Potiphar's wife's sin that's causes suffering. And then it's um, one of the king's servants' uh, forgetfulness that causes him two years of suffering. You know, he interprets the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker that are in prison. One of them dies. One goes back. Jo jo Joseph says, remember me when you go back to Pharaoh's presence, and he just forgets for two years until Pharaoh has a dream. The last ten chapters of Genesis is a story of redemption of Joseph, his rise to power in Egypt, and his reunion with his brothers and with his father. And it's a very interesting story, again, that I wish we had more time to get into, but for today, we, just, we don't have time for that, but he um, reunites, he reveals himself to his brothers um, through a long test, I think, testing to make sure that they have repented. And uh, when, it, when he sees that they have, then he forgives them and he invites them to come live in Egypt. So they are all in Egypt, and this is leading us to our key passage here. So Genesis 49 is where this starts. Jacob is now in Egypt. There are 70 uh, people of Jacob's family now in Egypt. And he's on his deathbed, and he's speaking blessings to all his sons. And he says, Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel your father. And he says first to Reuben, he says, You're my firstborn in my might, and the firstfruits of my strength. So you would think, okay, Reuben, he should get the, the blessing. The problem with Reuben is he slept with his father's um, maidservant. So he defiled his father's bed. Again, such bad people. Gosh, I tell you. Yeah, so Reuben had some problems, right? Um, so Reuben doesn't get the blessing. He says, hey, you know what? You... Um, 
You're unstable. You shall not have preeminence, Jacob says, because you went up to your father's bed and defiled it. So he says, sorry, Reuben, shouldn't have done that. You don't get the blessing. Sorry. Simeon and Levi are next. Um, they, uh, unfortunately, are disqualified from the blessing because of the whole murdering a whole town thing, um, which generally disqualifies you from things. I, I, so I hear. Uh, but then we have Judah. Judah is next. Judah receives the blessing as the fourth son of Jacob. And he says, your father's sons shall bow down to you, and the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Judah is the line from which we get King David and when we get Jesus. The scepter never departs from Judah, just as God promised through Jacob. Uh, who was Judah? Judah in this story, uh, he is the one who, it was his idea to save Joseph's life, and instead of killing him in the pit, selling him to the traitors. But then in uh, the climactic scene of Joseph uh, testing his brothers, uh, Joseph demands that Benjamin, uh, his, father's, his younger brother by his mother, uh, which is his father's other favored son, uh, he says, Benjamin has to stay. And Judah offers his life in the place of Benjamin. He offers himself as a substitute. And I believe that is why uh, he is given the blessing here. I believe it is a noble act of offering himself as a substitute that causes him to receive the blessing. Okay, do you have your long list of, of errors, right? You might have missed some. That's okay. There's a lot of bad things. We could have written down twice as many if I hadn't skipped so many stories. But you've got them, right? Okay? So this is leading us to chapter 50. I want you now, look at your, your piece of paper, or just think back in your head. Which one of those stopped God's plan? Not a single one. Not a single one of those errors stopped what God was doing. Jacob dies in chapter 50. Um, and in verse 15, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? And this is the key. This is it. For as, as for you, you meant evil, but God meant good. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. This is not only the theme of Genesis. It's the theme of the whole Old Testament and the entire redemption story. There's bad news and good news, of course. The bad news is that we all suffer under sin's grip. Whether it's our own sin that leads to suffering, or in the case of Joseph, somebody else's that leads to suffering. Sometimes it's not anyone's sin. It's just because we live in a fallen world and we get sick or we get hurt or whatever it is. Sometimes it's nothing. It's nobody's fault. It just happens, right? Whatever it is, when we choose, or when someone else chooses to not believe God, to not follow his will to be holy, it leads to death. It has led to death for the world. Often, again, we suffer not because of our own sin, but just because we live in a world that is riddled with death, that needs to be made right. Now, the good news is you can make 
Probably, if you're like me, you can make a list of the bad things, the times you haven't believed, the times you haven't trusted, the times you have messed up. I can make a list that, again, I don't have enough paper in the world, right? But I can't circle a single thing on my piece of paper, and neither can you, that was stopped God's will for your life. That has stopped God from carrying out his plan. There is not a single thing. That's the whole point of this verse. I could talk a whole nother sermon about how this has been true in my life, and I won't. But you can ask me about it sometime if you want. The way that God has been faithful to me, not only when people have sinned against me, but when it's been my sin that's caused my own suffering. Times that God said, no, I will drag you kicking and screaming, Kevin, into my will, if I have to. But just trust me. He calls me over and over again to trust him. And that's what I believe he's calling us to do today. As you continue reading the Old Testament, Israel's story is the same. It just continues the same. They are enslaved, and, they are, and then they're set free, and they say, we should have stayed in Egypt because we had food there. We should have been kept in bondage. They complain, and they gripe, and they worship other gods, and they flee from him. Moses gives the law, and he says, hey, this law is great, but you're not going to follow it. You're going to, ultimately, what you need is a change of heart, is what he says. And that's where Jesus comes in. Moses says, we need somebody like me, but better than me, to come along. And Jesus comes along, and he lets the evil of the world kill him so that God can use it for good. He lets the evil of the world kill him so that God can use it for the good of all mankind, to make all things new, to make all things right. For us who follow Christ, the application is this. Just believe what he says. Believe him. His will is going to be accomplished, is what I'm learning in my life. He's going to do what he does. Do I want to be a part of that? Am I going to believe him and be a part of that? Is what I have to ask myself, what we should all ask ourselves. So maybe we trust in the God who makes all things right, who is not stopped by our errors, who is not stopped by the suffering that we endure is not stopped by anything anyone does to us or around us or among us. His will endures, and he endures, and he sustains us and holds us. Let's pray. God, we trust in you for all things. God, we trust in you that you are our source and our life, and God, we want to submit ourselves to your will, to be holy and to follow your word, to follow what you've taught us is the best way to live. God, may we believe your words. God, may we seek what you have said, uh, not just in your written word, but God, as you speak to us through your spirit. God, we praise you and we give you all things for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.